welcome back to Rethinking Politics, here for our part two of our, our convention specials. Last week, we took a look at the Democratic National Convention. This week, we're taking a look at the Republican National Convention, and we've got a lot of insights. Obviously, these two conventions were, were very different for those of you who watched them, and so there's going to be a lot of things for us to point out, not just the differences, but the things they did well, things they didn't do well, some of our takeaways. So let's let's dive right in. We're going to begin slightly differently than we did last time before we get into the goals of the convention and, and recap some of the things we talked about last time. To get into the Republican convention, we wanted to mention a few things about ourselves. We've been very hesitant to do so because we want, as much as possible, our ideas to speak for themselves. We want people to actually have to contend with our ideas rather than being able to just sign a label and be done because that's what happens so often in politics. People don't listen when the, if it doesn't have the right label. And mm -hmm. to get by that, we've been, we've been <laughs> very reluctant and very deliberately trying, trying to avoid that mess. Yeah, it hasn't, it hasn't been accidental. It has been deliberate because this is a podcast that we want to focus on ideas and we want to get past rhetoric. And when we say rhetoric, one of the biggest areas you get that is in party politics. You know, party politics is is all about that. And so avoiding partisan labels has helped us to do that. And that's why we've been doing that. And I'm going to be... That being said... Yeah, I, I, I honestly think that partisanship could destroy the country in a way that other things couldn't. We could, we could see war in the near future if this goes too far. There, people, the way that people treat each other is getting out of hand. I couldn't agree more. So so what we want to talk about before we talk about the rest of this convention is is about our past. We are we are both what what you would call or what we would call disillusioned Republicans. And so we want to talk a little bit about what that means. Obviously it meant that we were at one point or another Republicans <laughs> and otherwise we couldn't become disillusioned. And both of us grew up in, or I grew up in a small town at least, both of us grew up in kind of Republican areas. Um, and what's important, when you hear disillusionment, what you're probably thinking is we converted to Democrats. That's not what we're saying at all. On the contrary, yeah, that's not accurate. On the contrary, what we found was that we were so convinced by, by many of the principles that we believed when we were young, that we found that the Republicans, that we were disappointed by how the Republicans were putting them into practice. And that's, that's not a, a refutation. I, I suppose in some ways that's an endorsement of Republicans in, in that I think the, some of the principles that they speak or refer to occasionally are, I think, correct. But the thing is, is that even though we believe in those underlying principles, we don't agree with a lot of, or at least some of the issues and platforms of the Republican Party. And that is because, and that's part of why we're disillusioned, because we've seen the Republican Party distance themselves from those principles and ideas. And even as they give lip service to them, what they actually do is in no way resembles that. And, and this is not just a re Republican issue. I think you may see that in, in both parties that that we use partisan that they use partisanship as an excuse 
to to stop worrying about the principles and get caught up in issues because they're party issues and and you start to focus on these platforms and these ideas and and as we're watching this we're like where are these ideas even coming from you know you talk about these principles on one hand and then these ideas and issues on the other hand that have no connection to them and it just makes you want to throw your hands in the air. Right, right. And if you, again, part of it is that you look at what they say and then you look at what they do. And it's really easy to be disappointed with uh, with politics when you do that. <laughs> it's, really, it's really easy to become disillusioned per se. Um, we, we were looking specifically, at, when you look at national politics, the each party will say something like, we were going to do X like we promised, but... The other party got in the way. We say that all the time, and that's the that's the regular excuse. And we we believed that for a time, and then we got involved in state politics. And at the state level, often these states are run entirely by one party, or so close to entirely right that it might as well be. Where you've got seventy five percent Republican, seventy five plus percent Republican or Democrat, which is to say that they can implement all the ideas that they want to. There should be no bar on their mm -hmm. principles. When you have a supermajority, there's no excuse of, oh, the party stopped us from doing right. it. You know, and I saw that personally as I became involved in state politics here in Utah, where where at least at, during the time that I've been interested and have been involved, you know, you've got a Republican governor, you have supermajorities in, in, in both houses, and... And then as I see, I see the laws that they are passing and I see the decisions they are making and how they do not line up with the principles they say they believe in. And I'm forced to deal with that disparity because it is a very real disparity. Right. Eventually, we, we, we concluded that either they do not believe the principles they were saying or, and perhaps more likely, they didn't understand them. And the ideas shift over time, right? Part of part of the way, another way you can see this is by looking at what parties do across time, right? Often their rhetoric will be relatively similar, but what they're actually doing changes quite a bit. And that's, we've talked about partisanship a lot before, but we wanted to say that going into this because we're going to be looking at the Republican convention. We're going to be looking at, a, at, at some of the rhetoric that we would agree with in theory, and but some of the issues that that uh, may or may not be connected with that at all. And and part of the reason we bring this up now is because as we, we look at these two conventions, you know, we look at the Democratic convention and we look at the Republican convention. In many ways, it's more difficult for us to look at the Republican convention than it is to look at the, the, the Democratic convention because we we're more invested and we're more it's easier to get upset when you're watching a party that you've become disillusioned with than it is to get upset with a party that you were never a part of and so that's something that you may see come up here as we discuss that understand that you know our goal is not to tear down either of these parties our goal is not to lift up either of these parties our goal is definitely not to get you to vote for one of these two candidates our goal is to get beyond this partisanship and find some principles and so as we look at these 
conventions. And as we look at this second convention with the Republican convention, just remember those are our goals. That's what we're trying to accomplish. Thank you. I agree completely. The So we talked when we talked about the DNC, we talked first about the goals of the convention. If you try and analyze a convention and how successful it is, by standards, it's not by by objectives, it's not trying to reach, you're going to have a very bad idea of what of how the convention's doing. If you were a Republican and you watched the Democratic convention and you thought they were wrong about everything, the good news is they were not talking to you. As we <laughs> talked about then, they're talking to they're talking to Democrats. They're talking to people who already agree with them on most of the ideas, if not all of them. The Democrats needed to unite their base. They needed to call together the different factions they had divided into in order to find a presidential candidate and bring them together. That's a really critical aspect of conventions that is obviously not necessary here in the same way. Here you have one one candidate. <laughs> candidate isn't even the right word. The president is automatically yeah. the candidate. The president is automatically going to be representing the Republican Party. And as such, there was no division per se. Yeah, there was no breaking up. There was no lengthy competition where people, you know, attacked each other where candidates Biden, were attacking Kamala each other and arguing, them yeah. down. Like happened four years ago. There wasn't that which which does put them in a better place and gives them an advantage in that they don't have to heal any of those wounds. Mm -hmm. You know, they're ready right now. They know who, you know, we've known who we've had. Sorry. They've they've known who their candidate is going to be for this entire four years. They've had the chance to streamline that process, which gives them a better opportunity in this convention to focus on their next goal and the goal they actually are going to focus on, which is to stake their position in opposition to the Democrats to say, this is what the Democrats are going to offer you. And this is what we're going to offer you. And this is why you need to vote for us. Right. In that aspect, it's much more directed at both parties than the democratic one was. Yeah. And this one, they, they do, they don't pull punches in ways that the democratic convention did. And it was very different. Now, there is something about this election that, that is a little bit different, and that is that because of the nature of, of Trump's interaction with the media for the past four years, there is a division, but it's not one between candidates. It's between the, the base of Trump supporters who are fired up and are, are on Trump's side 100%. And the other Republicans who have fallen out of line and are, in fact, trying to distance themselves from Trump and the things that he says and, and does. And that is now the groups that they have to reconcile is these two groups. You've got the Republicans who are Trump supporters and the Republicans who are not. And those in the past four years have become two very distinct groups, even though the non-Trumpers don't have their own candidate. They just don't want Trump. But it's important coming into this election that they bring those two groups back together. Right. They're going to need the votes of that, that group or, or could need the votes of that group. And, uh, and so we'll look to reunite the Republican Party. You mentioned that the incumbent has an advantage in some ways. And statistically, that advantage ends up being quite huge. The incumbent is almost always reelected in every political position. <laughs> so in some of the positions like Congress, it's like 90 plus percent 
and it's like 92 or something. And then in the, in the Senate, it's even higher in the house. It's high, but in the Senate, it's almost guaranteed. Yeah, There's a reason why presidents tend to serve eight years. Yes. Yes. That's the pattern because it serving four years gives you a huge advantage in terms of name recognition and the ability to try and show your case. Mm-hmm. And, and I would have said if, Without COVID-19, I would have said there was that Trump would have been overwhelmingly reelected because of the state of the economy. That may or may not have been true. That may or may not have been how it panned out. But I think, but with a good economy and an incumbent president, the, st- the just previous data, you know, looking at past elections, the odds were extremely high, extremely in his favor, regardless of, of all the other stuff. With COVID-19, that changes things. That changes things in a big way. <laughs> the economy does not look good. It, uh, all kinds of things have happened. Yeah, since a lot then. of things have happened this year, obviously, but all of those things have had an incredible effect on what's going to happen this November. They are all incredibly relevant, as evidenced by the fact that in the Democratic convention a week ago, almost everything they talked about was stuff that had happened in the last year. You know what I mean? They didn't even talk about the first three years of Trump's presidency. They only talked about those events, which if you think about it is crazy. that That's how significant this year has been, that they can basically just talk about these current events to stake their whole case against Trump. Yeah, it's interesting. And we mentioned that they didn't, they don't have to go into the issues and the arguments in their convention because they're they're uh, they're just talking to their base mainly, and if they can get their votes together, if they can get their their stuff together, then they have a, a good shot of winning just without without even appealing across the aisle per se, or or really reaching to independence. But Trump has to make a case. He's down. He's been down in the polls, and he has to be persuasive here. This this convention could do a lot. They're reaching for a lot, they're hoping for a lot, and it could really make a difference. Statistically, it was interesting to look back at the DNC, the, the, the Democratic Convention, just last week. Brad and I had been very favorable to it in terms of, uh, in terms of presentation. Yeah, and how well, least, they, right, how well they pulled off the convention as a whole. Mm-hmm. And did it online. Um, we thought it was, it was really quite well done. The messaging was on the, the messaging was uniform. The presentation was smooth. We thought it was effective in how they presented it. Whatever you think of the issues, of course, is obviously extremely important and not something we went into, but as a political event with specific political goals, we thought it would reach its goals and it would be effective. Statistically, it didn't seem to have much of an effect. Usually after a convention, there's a slight bump in the polls in favor of that party. And usually the two of them kind of balance each other mm-hmm. out. They each get their bump on their week. Right, right. And so it ends up being uh, being small differences, if anything, if both do a good job. That didn't happen after the DNC. And that's, that's odd. <laughs> and it may just be the fact that the normal bump they would have got from independence or whatever group has already happened was already on their mm-hmm. side. Yeah. Yeah. That the group in the middle that kind of is affected by these things was already there. And it's there. something to be said for this being the year where everything has become politicized to the point that you don't have a group in the middle yeah, yeah. who don't really care either way in that same sense. You know what I mean? Everyone cares about these issues. Everyone cares 
about so many political ideas. Everyone is yeah. talking about all these ideas in a way that hasn't happened and is unusual. Yeah, there may be voters who haven't made up their minds, but you're right that in that most I bet that number is smaller than it's ever it been. It is smaller than it's been <laughs> because before. of the yeah, because of people have been pushed to make decisions on these things already. They already have strong feelings it's affecting them so directly. And and I think that's something that's that's shown here because in this convention they do push hard and I think part of the reason they push hard is because they're trying to break people out of a chosen idea. They're trying to break people out of a already decided position instead yeah. of trying to take someone from ambivalence to interest. Right. Right. So there's there's two cases they need to make, right? There's there's the one about Trump himself. Obviously Trump's character, what he's like, how he speaks, whether he has <laughs> if you remember what we said about the DNC being their message was all about empathy. Their theme, their running one of their running themes was we the people and and about we're the ones who listen and can actually relate to people and connect with them and uh, understand them. With that theme, that's a uh, having presented that, how Trump appears in contrast to that is an is an interesting question. Obviously, they're playing to what they think is Trump's weakness when they present that kind of a message. Mm -hmm. Trump with his uh, bluster and his uh, his aggressiveness and those kind of things is not a uh, not exactly the vision of empathy. Yeah, on a it doesn't day. It definitely doesn't come across as empathetic at all. <laughs> at best, it's not empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so. Trump's appearance is one aspect that they, they have to sell people on. There are people who are not going to vote Republican, who might otherwise vote Republican, based exclusively on dislike of Trump's personality. It's a, it, it actually has become an important factor. It really second, has. <laughs> it really has. Perhaps it shouldn't. Or, or. The other case Trump needs to make is about what he has done and is going to do. Right? It's about what he's – it's his, his track record and, and where he's looking going forward. It's the actual issues at stake and the decisions and policies at stake. Where the Democrats were in a position where they could avoid that discussion because they were talking to people who agree with them, Trump actually has to make a case. He has to say, look, I said I was going to do X and I've done X. I said I was going to do Y and this is where we've got on that and we're going to keep going forward on it and then point a new direction. Yeah, and, and in many ways, his push for the issues is is in order to convince those Republicans who have distanced themselves to come back, reminding them, here's the reason you're a Republican. Here's why you need to vote for Trump, because you care about these issues. So let's talk a little bit about some of the issues that they covered. The first one we want to talk about is one that we actually want to talk about, because it's something we, we've already talked about and something we care about, and that is school choice. We were very surprised coming into this Shocked, frankly. That Shocked. That they made it into an issue, and we were very happy to hear it. Now, whether or not <laughs> it's it's funny because I say that, but then I'm also worried that the charter school issue will now become politicized, and it will become a Republican platform, <laughs> and therefore right. liberals will refuse to support school choice because it is a representation of Trump and the Republicans instead of being just the obvious answer to a nonpartisan issue. Right, right. It's a, uh, yeah, 
It's and that's fear. an example of of the frustration we feel with with partisanship is is charter schools and and school choice is not a fundamental Republican Party platform, and being anti, uh, you know, school school choice is not a integral part of the Democratic Party. Give it a couple years, it may be. It may be. In fact, it may be tomorrow. It may be already. <laughs> like if you watch the RNC and you it were a Democrat, that may have convinced you. No, and, and it's a, it's a sad reality. And now you've got fifty percent of of the country is now going to be against something, whether or not they actually are against it themselves. Yeah, it's a it's a it's unfortunate that we're often introduced to issues that way, and that's partially why we try and talk about the issues the way we do to try and avoid that and actually let people think about it, decide for themselves. One of the other things with this, with charter school thing, is I was just going to mention is that one of the reasons we're so surprised is that you go to Republican states and you may or may not find any sign of this. And Republican states have all the power in the world to introduce school choice. Mm -hmm. Most of them haven't. Most of them, it's extremely limited. Yeah, yeah, they may have charter schools, but they are, they are severely restricted. They are not given the the chances to flourish that would allow them to actually operate effectively. Right, right. They, and in, in there, I'm sure there are uh, liberal states that do better than some Republican states. This is one of those things where the states are going to vary, and it probably isn't that much in line with political ideas, with perhaps a few exceptions, places like Arizona and Texas. The next thing, the next issue they hit, and they hit hard, was law and order. If you've watched some of the protests and uh, some of the videos from it, there are a couple that I've seen where you have uh, some of the looters breaking into a store, and you have people asking them to stop in the name of not getting Trump reelected. And they'll say, <laughs> "They'll say, what are you doing? You're gonna, you're gonna get Trump reelected. Like you, you gotta stop this." And it just, it's kind of funny, sad it's, at the same time. And but it's. They've they've got a point that every every time one of these protests turns violent, it puts Trump in that much of a better light, and it makes and it makes the Democratic case that much harder. You know, and it was something that that they definitely glossed over in the Democratic convention, and by glossed over, I mean didn't mention at all, is the fact that a lot of these protests are turning violent, and it is a serious issue and it's something that a lot of people are getting upset about and it's something that is going to have a significant impact on the election and it's interesting because it's something we talked about in our civil disobedience episode in terms of effectiveness that as soon as your protest turns violent you've lost you know you have lost the battle for hearts and minds you know and, and to use the cliche term and we've seen that today where as these protests first started out, everyone was on their side. And then you, you have a couple of, 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 of instances of rioting and looting. And then you get some severe violence that occurs and some actual murders. And it makes it very hard to be on that side. And I can right. attest to that. Right, right. I know it's absolutely true. And, it's, and it's, it seems to be statistically true, too. And in, in what we're seeing and how people are reacting to it. And as you said, that the fact that Democrats didn't mention it in their in their presentation is a deliberate move because it would not have been favorable for them to talk about it. Ideally for them, they it, it stays out of the spotlight. 
Both of these kind of speak to an underlying issue, which is about racism, right? This is, this is the Republicans' response to some of the racism issues. And we're going to talk more about uh, black voters here at the end and the effect it has on them because it's an important part of the strategy, the overall strategy. So the next issue they talk about, and it actually goes hand in hand with the law and order, and in some ways could be considered a part of the law and order, is foreign policy and Trump's keeping America first. You know, that slogan and the ideas that come with it. You know, the things that weren't surprising, supporting the military, increasing military spending as something that he has accomplished, um, protecting Americans who are overseas in foreign prisons or who are incarcerated by terrorist groups, those things you'd expect. The emphasis on not getting involved in foreign wars, bringing troops home, and ending a lot of America's engagements in the world is not something I expected because typically that has not been the Republican Party line. Right. I mean, I'm not saying all Republicans are 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 hawks, but in general, if you're going to find the hawks, they're going to be in the Republican Party, is at least the idea. Now, yeah. if you go back and you look at what Republicans and Democrats have done over the years, it becomes a lot muddier, but at least on paper, the Republican Party has been the, the war party. And so him being not necessarily anti-war, but anti-getting involved in wars that are ineffective and are pointless was, I think, a fantastic move because it is something that will help reach across the aisle, reach across to especially that middle demographic of people who are in the middle. And it's something that almost no one wants is right. getting involved in a pointless war. Who wants that? <laughs> right. Especially when you call it a pointless war, right? Well, it's, it's just good marketing right there. <laughs> well, and as you said, once you look at actual practice, it's muddier because though Democrats are often the party of anti-war rhetoric, and Republicans are often the party of, of pro-war rhetoric in the name of security, of course. I don't mean that to sound like they just like war. Um, but in practice, you're right, that, uh, that both parties end up kind of continuing these policies, these foreign policies, and very little At about has the changed. same rate, yeah. Right, very little changes. That in terms of war policy, I've seen little difference between the two parties. Yeah, at least in recent years, yeah. But this is definitely a change in rhetoric and one that I'm in favor of personally. Yeah, change in rhetoric and in practice. He seems to have done at least some of that. I mean, we're still in Afghanistan, but anyway, <laughs> we were, we're not we're trying not to review uh, the actual, how much they're actually doing here, but merely to present what they presented. Abortion was, of course, one that's hit. It's an important Republican thing. There, there are Republicans who vote Republican specifically for this issue. This is, yeah. the, this is the big one they care about. What's maybe perhaps interesting about it, most interesting about it, is the way they focused on it, specifically discussing late-term abortions. It was an effective tool because there, you know, there are a set number of people on each side of the abortion issue, but as soon as you tar start talking about late-term abortions, and when you ta start talking about third trimester or, or full-term abortions those numbers shift dramatically. The people who are in favor of of full-term ab abortions are significantly less than those who are in favor of abortions in theory. And so so emphasizing that and pushing on that point I think was a very effective and a very effective issue to talk about. 
Right, it's a numbers game. That's that's the tipping point where you have a very wide majority of Republicans and Democrats who think that it's wrong. And so to focus on that area is... Yeah, and, and focusing on issues where everyone agrees with you is always a good idea. I mean, it's something we saw in the Democratic convention when they talked about generalities, and it's something we're seeing here with some of these issues where they're speaking where they are picking things that everyone can agree on. They then talked about economy. I say then as if it was sequential. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. These A lot of these were mixed in. Um, no, and a lot of these issues were issues that almost every speaker hit. Yeah, in, in some form. They would at least mention it. Um, the economy is obviously critical to, to the president. Um, the state of the economy when a president is going up for re-election is a, is a huge factor in whether they get re-elected. By the standard measure that news people refer to economics, Trump's economy before COVID-19 was as good an economy as we've ever had. It set records in terms of employment for different demographics. It was good for, and it was particularly good for minorities and for women. And they, they pointed that out, that the numbers were good. That's a hard point to argue with. I think that they made they they needed to make that case. They needed to say what's happening in COVID nineteen is a fluke, and it's a yeah. fluke that couldn't be righted. It's a yeah, fluke that, that Trump in can four more years with Trump, things are going to be right back to where they were before. Mm-hmm. They discussed their support for businesses. They had lots of speakers come in and, and talk about how they're how their small business wasn't able to compete with some foreign imports and how Trump's trade agreements and tariffs had managed to save their businesses. Yeah, we're not going to comment on that. <laughs> just just, just imagine the sound of crickets there and, and we'll move on. You know, we're, as we mentioned before, it's hard for us to just mention these issues without breaking them down, talking about about the Republican issues versus the Democratic issues, but but let's move on. As an aspect, as another aspect of economy, they talked about the trade deals that Trump had negotiated. And that's a, obviously I implied that in the support for small businesses, but I wanted to mention it specifically because it was one of his big promises. He said he was going to go and he was going to get great trade deals. He was going to get out of NAFTA and and he created some new agreement right between Canada and Mexico and, and uh some of the other agreements that he's negotiated and got us out of other agreements and, and created new ones. And so there he can point to results, right? He can say, I was said I was going to do this, and I did. However you want to measure the effectiveness of his, his work, he at least addressed the things he, he said he was going to do. Right, right. And now, yep. So, so the next point, the next issue that they talked about, and one that was very important for his reelection is Trump's response to COVID-19. Um, something that they hit very hard in the DNC, you know, one of the three issues that we talked about that they really focused on, one of those issues was COVID-19 and something they kept pushing. And one of the things they actually pushed on Trump, you know, because like I said, they they didn't attack Trump as, as much as they could have, but one of the things they did hit him hard for was his response to COVID-19. Their argument was, because of Trump, these people died. Like they, 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 they put those deaths on Trump's doorstep in a very, in a very visceral sense. And so, in this convention, they address that, and I think they address that effectively by listing the things that Trump did. And you know, they specifically talked about his his travel ban 
on China. They talked about his rapid response in getting personal protective equipment. And he talked about using the Defense Act to get private companies to produce ventilators instead of producing what they were before. You know, for an example of a line they used frequently was that uh, no American who needed a ventilator was denied one. That everyone who needed one got access. And, and, and then, of course, the CARES Act, signing the CARES Act and, you know, talking about the the aid that was able to be provided, including and something they hit several times was the Paycheck Protection Program, which they said saved or helped ensure millions and millions of jobs. One of the things that I think backfired a little bit for Democrats was that they, I think they often overplayed Trump's incompetence. Whether you think Trump is competent or not, that he was doing things that were trying to address these is is a matter of record, right? Yeah. So if you say, so if Democrats says Trump is doing nothing, and Trump can say, I've done A, B, C, and D. This is a one of those many cases where I think the news just so gets so partisan, gets so biased that they they'll hammer <laughs> that they'll hammer the other side so hard, much harder than they had to. Because what they could mm -hmm. say is Trump is doing this and it's not effective. Yeah. Or he's doing this when he should be doing this, right? But instead, they took it too far and they say Trump's doing nothing. And of course, he's not doing nothing. He happens to be president and mm -hmm. it'd, be, it'd, be, it'd be impossible to get away with doing nothing, even yeah, if you yeah. just like people are going to come to you and say, this is what we're thinking, yes or no. And No, and, and that's the thing is I'm sure the Democrats would argue on the effectiveness of each of those of those mm -hmm. responses. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it doesn't really matter because they have taken the stance that Trump did nothing and let this happen. And so when they can come back in this convention and clearly say, he's done this, he's done this, and and it's concrete and it's clear, that's effective. And it really it was an effective messaging. It's something that they did well in this convention. It is. That, it's, I was say, it's partially their advantage in that they, they went second in the convention so they can respond. Mm-hmm. And that actually leads us, and Dan kind of hit on it already, because we want to talk about some of the general themes that they hit on in this convention. Right. And, and Dan's already started talking about one, and one that they hit on very hard is the idea of the media is controlled by the far left and is spouting nothing but lies about the right. <laughs> and I say that like that, and that sounds like a lot of hyperbole. But that's how they talked about it in this convention. Yeah. They they went all out in attacking the media and and as Dan and as Dan said, some of it is justified. You know, there is there is a case to be made for the fact that most media most media has taken a side one way or the other. Whether you're talking about CNN, M you know, MSNBC, you know, Fox News, etc. They've taken sides. There, there aren't a whole lot of uh, of media options for those who are actually looking for some truth. Maybe that's just that, that. That's my opinion. As I'm over here trying to find as much data as possible, it is darn right. difficult to find any article that isn't clearly trying to sell me something. Right. I would prefer. I'd prefer it not to be spun quite as many times before I consume it. I would, I would rather, I would much rather get the information and try and judge for myself. And at some point, a lot of the news groups decided 
they were going to do that for the for the consumers. They were going to do that for the viewers. Now, I will say I will say this though about about their take in this convention is I agree that they should have addressed it. The way they addressed it, I'm not sure was the right one. Sometimes as you as you especially as you use more and more hyperbole, more and more almost hysterics in your anger at what's happened, your your fan base resonates with that. But you start to drift into into almost conspiracy theory levels of of anger. And as soon as you start looking like a conspiracy theorist, you start looking crazy. And that's the last thing you want to do when you've already got a group of Republicans who are distancing themselves from Trump. And so having Trump scream about the media, and I say Trump, but I mean the whole convention scream about the media, it can have a negative effect with that group specifically. Right, right. And it's a, obviously to do, to talk about those kind of things is kind of, is a tactical choice in terms of, of they, they wouldn't be saying that if they didn't think it had some appeal. Mm-hmm. And it definitely it, does. And it definitely does. But I think at this point it's getting old at least. Mm-hmm. And maybe, and maybe we're speaking for ourselves only here, but, but I've been hearing that for years. And when you say, if you say that the media is controlled by the left, it's, it's obviously too broad on its face. Which obviously. media? Obviously, you have you have lots of Republican media. Now, in terms of sheer quantity of channels on TV, there are far more liberal channels than there are Republican. But that's not what's important anyway. It's the number of viewers, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's the biggest news channel by not? And it's not even close. Fox News. Fox News has many times what those other little channels have. <laughs> and so anyway, when you look at the numbers, it ends up being, it's one of those points that I feel like is, is uh, as you said, it's too much hyperbole. If you want to say mm-hmm. yes there. Now, there are a lot of like tech companies and things, groups like Facebook and Twitter that are, that are starting to get involved more. And I think that's a, that's a conversation that's interesting and worth having. But uh, this, this, repetition of a single accusation at the whole world is uh it's effective for some but it's definitely alienating for others so right. it, was an, it was an interesting tactical choice that i was surprised at you know because they because they did do some things incredibly well and i feel like but this this wasn't one of them mm-hmm. they then talked about <laughs> they keep saying then they talked about the general impl- They talked about the importance of this election. In case you haven't heard, this is the most important election of your life. In fact, (laughs) this may be the most important election ever. No, not, not, not maybe they, they, it is the most important (laughs) election of all time. As, as Mike Pence says, this is the election that will decide whether America stays America, i.e. if the Democrats win, this will no longer be America. Which in terms of in terms of dramatic hyperbole, I thought that one took the cake for this convention. Right. He did reach a new peak. Usually people just say this is about the heart of America or the soul <laughs> of America. But he uh he found a new way to elevate it. Um Brad and I, if you've heard us talk about partisanship, this is or about elections, this is one of the things that 
that has rubbed me the wrong way since after my first election where I heard it. <laughs> because <sighs> I, I, I don't know how people who've, who are in there, you know, who are old, much older than I am, can endure hearing that every election. And no, I, and I not, think and not I laugh. Think we can. I think we can safely say, well, if you want to argue the most important election, it's definitely not this one. There are several others that take the cake, and I think the only one that can make the claim of whether America stays America, Mister Pence, was the second election when we found out that this government system actually worked right, after right. George Washington left and was replaced by someone else without a war. Without a war, right, right. During that election, they could say this is the most important election of all time. Right, right. It's just uh, to be fair, they were only competing with you know two before them, but it's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> after that it became much muddier about which election was the most important what else what would be next in line no and it's absolutely true but it's a uh, and we give them a lot of grief for this when when the truth is you have to you don't have to but you can't say something less than that you can't say this is a this is a fairly important election or this is a deep this is one of this is on the the more important side of elections as far as that goes so you should probably get out and vote because at the end of the day, these these conventions are about getting people to vote for them. And and you have to impress them with some I keep saying have to. I don't feel like you have to say these no, things. No, no, and I've and I've There are other it. ways I'd, you can do it. I would love to run for office and say this election is important because it is going to be a small stepping stone in our progress towards something that we want to accomplish. We have these greater goals and this is a stepping stone in that process. Right. A realistic, a more yeah, I agree with you. So anyways, the next next thing they talk about, now I'm saying it, you've got me on it. Another thing they talk about is, uh, is Trump's record and the fact that it's about what he's done, not what he's said. And obviously, this is an important issue for them to hit. And I think sometimes they did it effectively, where in terms of the issues and talking about what Trump has accomplished... I think they did a fantastic job. I think overall looking at this convention, which by the way, we were going to talk about it earlier, but we got distracted talking about our personal history. This convention struggled in terms of their ability to present versus the, the Democratic convention. You know, we had we had people who were who were who were shouting at empty auditoriums. <laughs> Um, you know, it just didn't work the same way the Democratic convention did. It didn't. It did not adapt to the to the fact that there wasn't going to be a live audience. In fact, it was so unadaptive that they pulled in a live audience for for some of them. Yes, for some of the speech for, speakers. for some of the keynotes and for Trump's speech. Mm -hmm. But but even when they didn't pull in that audience, they still gave the same exact speech as if that audience was there. Pauses and all. Not long pauses, but you know they'd pause long enough, and then go, long enough yeah. that I I was able to turn up the speed on the YouTube videos <laughs> to levels that I had never reached before with a speech. No, but but where they did really well was in sticking with the issues and making the issues the priority and having concrete things that Trump had done, which, as we talked about, is foundational for convincing people to vote for Trump again. They did a good job with that. Yeah. Yeah. They you needed know, the, to... the, the promises made, promises kept 
was one of the slogans and they did a good job with that. Right. And it has the dual the the dual benefit of saying you can kind of ignore what Trump says because he's doing good things. And that actually was one of the one of the themes was Right. It was don't, not don't they vote for Biden just because of the things Trump says. Yeah. Yeah. And and often it wasn't that explicit, but it was certainly there and very de- very deliberately there that that whatever you think of what he says, Trump is doing things that are good was what their was the case they were making. We mentioned it somewhat before, but it was a general theme to say socialism and the extreme left is destroying America. And they could point to specific places and you know buildings on fire and uh, breakdown in law and order were all part of this this general idea right that that the extremes of the left which they would say that Biden is a puppet for mm-hmm. um, was uh, was was going to destroy America yeah that this wasn't a competition between normal republicanism and normal Democrats, this is a competition between normal republicanism and the farthest far left you can imagine. Right, right. So Brad mentioned it, but in terms of the production, I was really hoping for less clapping. And that may <laughs> sound that may sound like a little thing, but it makes a big difference to me. If you're out there, Republican committee, and we're in another <laughs> we're in another situation where we could not have clapping let's not have clapping and let's not give speeches <laughs> that are aimed at the clapping if you the clapping you do not have to have a live audience clap the live audience can just listen and clap at the end it's it's true and you can speeches designed around the clapping in that tradition end up being more talking points more applause lines than substance and that's a, that's a tradition in both parties. We were glad to see that the Democrats kind of strayed from that with their presentation and with, with their, their multimedia presentation. Um, Republicans, I'm not, we're not, we were not surprised that Republicans stuck with the tradition. They are the party of tradition in a lot of ways. <laughs> but whatever their presentation aside, we didn't, as I said, we didn't care for the the manner, but that's not the question at all. The question is, does it achieve their goals? Right? Does it exactly. does it actually persuade the audience? And and that's something you can measure. You can see whether it bumps their group and whether it bumps their statistics. Um, and on the that note, recording this a few days after the convention has ended, it appears that they did exceptionally well, despite those facts, despite the fact that the presentation was. Not quite what we had hoped and was was flawed in some ways. They were still able to hit some of those notes that they hit really well. And they were such effective ideas and effective themes that they that they pushed that they were able to affect those poll numbers in a positive way. One of the ways that I thought they they were extremely effective, and perhaps between the times, the strange times of 2020 and what's happened and their efforts to capitalize on them could really reshape some of the things that, that, that we see in the future, could really reshape the demographics of the parties. And through reshaping the demographics of the parties could reshape some of the issues, right? Mm-hmm. Really change the parties. Fundamentally change the parties. Right. Um, and there was a set of speeches that, that really tried to do this. One of them was the, was the speeches focused on charter schools. 
that issue and that selection of topic was not random. It was very specifically targeting a certain group. And in line with those were some of the speakers. Brad, you mentioned that you really liked Jack Brewer's speech. Yeah, so Jack Brewer's speech. So this convention was interesting because it was made up. First of all, they had more speeches than multimedia presentations. You know, the the Democrats had a lot of, you know, of of fireside chats, of even videos from from people when they experienced stuff. And the Republicans did that as well, but not nearly to the same extent. So they had more speeches, just so many speeches. And so I can't keep track of them all in my head, even though I just watched all of them. Right. We're talking dozens and dozens. We're, We're talking several dozen speeches. Yeah, because it was over a dozen each day, you know, it was a lot of speeches. Right. And, often and, and, is often some of them were as short as two minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was and that was part of the thing. And something I noticed was that a lot of their best speeches were their short ones. And it was these three or four or five minute speeches by by a, a varied group of people that had a lot of a lot of power. And one of those was uh, Jack Brewer, who was a. Uh, an NFL guy. I mean, I mean, Dan, you'd have to tell me. Yeah, former NFL player Jack Brewer. Okay, so I, I'm gonna have to confession time here since this is a personal episode. I don't like sports, so you know we're gonna lose <laughs> half half of our viewers with that one. But but rip the bandaid right off. <laughs> but Jack Brewer gave this four minute speech, and it was fantastic. He starts off, you know, talking about about his history you know he's he was a democrat he's he's been involved in 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 race issues and even fighting up against these these skinheads and and about racism and dealing with that and then talks about how connecting racism to trump makes no sense and he's seeing the things that trump does and how they are actually helping the black community and he's like that's that's what matters what is he actually doing? And he's actually helping us. He actually cares about us and is doing things that will make a difference. And so I don't care what lies are being thrown. And he calls out some of the things the media has said about Trump, but in a much more effective way than some of the more hysterical speeches talked about it. He was able to present Trump as someone who is actually getting things done and actually helping black people in America in a very convincing way in just four minutes. And it was, it was amazing. There were, there were many black Republican speakers and, uh, people like, uh, Jaron Smith was one that I really liked and not just because he had an awesome beard. And Kim Clasic for something. <laughs> it does. Kim Clasic was another one. If you haven't heard of Kim Clasic, look up her her advertisement for Congress. Even if you're uh, a Democrat, you should look it up because it's been uh, it's been in the news a lot. It's been very it's been viral, and it uh, it's turned out to be very powerful. All of these have presented different perspectives from Black people than the typical ones you hear. And that are associated with the the standard racism claims and some of the things that we've heard in the news lately. You know, some of the things dealing with George Floyd's death and the Black Lives Matter movement and those things. If that surprises you, and if you're wondering why why the focus on these things, these guys talked a lot about uh, they talked about criminal justice. They would talk about 
their families and their personal experiences. Brad said some of their experiences with racism and different things. And then the discussion of charter schools. Why on earth would that suddenly be, seemingly out of nowhere, a national issue that Republicans are going to unite behind when literally the national government doesn't decide at all whether mm-hmm. there are charter schools. Yeah, it's not really that, that's a, a state issue. issue. It's a state issue. You could, I suppose you could overrule states, right? You can make a law and apply it, force the state's hand. But up to this point, it was entirely up to the states. And so for it to become a national issue is odd. Until you realize why, and this is, I think, the most, perhaps the most important thing happening in this election right now. Black voters have, for the last 40 years, voted almost exclusively for Democrats. We're talking single-digit votes, single-digit percentage votes for Republicans. The highest I saw when I was looking at it was was 9% of blacks voted for Ronald Reagan. People like Romney got 6%. McCain got 4 Ouch. Very few voting blocks are that consistent, consistent. and that unified. Yeah, it just that's doesn't incredibly happen. consistent. Right, right. People have different views. They have different opinions, and they, they think all kinds of different things, right? So it's odd that they're that united, except to say that they must agree. They must have a, a very consistent view of racism and with uh, some of the issues and struggles they're facing that aligns with the democratic narrative, right? That, that seems to be the only explaining factor, especially when you realize that, that socially, blacks are much more likely to be both religious and socially conservative on things like gay marriage and issues like that. In a lot of ways, they, you would have expected them to align more with Republicans, but they haven't. They voted almost as an exclusive bloc for Democrats, and nothing seems to have been able to shake that. This election might be different, though. This election might be different. And I submit to you that it would, that in some ways, I think in the long run, it could be more important. It might make more of a difference than who gets elected because it really will or could reshape the parties. Because whether or not Trump gets elected, if, if the Republican Party is able to shake that racism stigma and in so many ways move into the 21st century as a party, <laughs> That will be that will be fantastic, not just for the Republican Party, but for for everyone except for Democratic politicians. And the reason is because if that happens, it's going to change not just the Republican Party. It's going to change both of the parties and not just their makeup, but also the issues and what they what they talk about and what they do, hopefully. Right, right, right. Uh, Democrats would not only have to pivot on the concept of racism if they if the blacks start to split, even even if they were to go like 30-70 instead of five or five, somewhere between four and nine, you know, that would that would really undermine a lot of the claims that they make about racism and about the and about what's good for the black community. And that that movement's been happening for uh, about a year now, but the numbers are spiking right now. No, and and that's where stuff like uh, Kim, Cl- how do you say her last name? Kim Klasik. Kim Klasik's ad is so powerful because she has in the ad she walks through the streets of Baltimore, and which is interesting because we talked about that with our charter school episode. <laughs> we did in the, the about, failing high schools about how Baltimore as a city is failing and is specifically failing 
the the black community within Baltimore and how for the past 53 years it's been a democratic a democrat controlled city and so if the democrats really are the party who cares about black people why haven't they done anything you know they've it's what we were talking about before with disillusionment and that's something that may be happening here is a disillusionment towards the democratic part the democrat party and and minorities and and as as someone who's interested in people doing what they say they're going to do i think that can only be a good thing right right and maybe they'll find what they're looking for maybe they'll have to do come up with new ideas but either way it could be a very beneficial right. change right and if you want to hear our thoughts on racism go check out our episode on that because it's it's a it's a nuanced issue and i think it would it would eliminate from the competition, several definitions of racism. <laughs> and we could get back to talking about racism, racism, the one that most mm -hmm. people know, think of when they think of racism and, uh, and addressing that in a more unified way rather than talking about systemic racism, which, which may or may not be discussing classic racism at all. And it's uh, another point they hit with that. It was justice reform, criminal reform specifically, and some of the things Trump's done uh, for those things. And uh, it's all of it together. And the fact that Democrats didn't mention the protests and, the, and some of the writing and stuff like that, and they didn't hit racism nearly as hard. They, they still hit it. It's still a fundamental issue for them, but didn't hit it as hard as, as I had expected. They didn't make it the theme, which is what I thought they would do. They made it a theme. No, and that's, and that's something I would, I would say. I hate to interrupt you right now. but No, go ahead. Something that the, the Republicans did well is they actually argued the racism issue using the Democrats' definition. They said, okay, if racism means systemic racism and is about outcomes, then how come in these Democratic-controlled cities the outcomes for black people are so low? And they said, how come you're not supporting things like charter schools that could actually improve those outcomes and justice reform that could actually improve those outcomes? And I think that was a very, That's a very true. effective and a very unusual thing that they did. Instead of saying, no, 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 we want to talk about this. They said, okay, if we're going to talk about this, let's talk about this. And they did. And they did it really well. They did. You're right. They, they were on point there. Somebody, some... <laughs> Some committee group or whatever it is who puts this together was on point there. Um, I can only imagine when they pitched the, like, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about charter schools. But, <laughs> but why? <laughs> no, and, it's, and, it, and it seems to be working. And that's the really important part. It seems to be working. Trump's approval rating uh, among blacks right now is not just double digits, which is, which is crazy of itself when you look at the historical numbers, but it's above 30%. And if Trump were to, able to get even 20% of the vote, it, it could spell a, a change coming in the near future. No, and, and, and a lot of you listening may be surprised by that because in many ways it is surprising. You would think it would go the other way. That Especially with, with the George with, Floyd with stuff. With the protesting and George Floyd and the, the police brutality and his focus on law enforcement, you would think that he couldn't argue both. He couldn't argue law enforcement and argue that he's the best candidate for for black communities and you'd be wrong he actually 
did make an effective case and a convincing case that I think may may do something. And and I think that that is something that we are going to be very interested in seeing this election to see how that plays out because as because as Dan said that may be that may be more important than who wins this election especially in the long term which is crazy if you think about it because this is the election that will decide if America stays America. <laughs> so if it's more important than that, then it must be pretty well, darn important. Remember one more point I wanted to make related to that, because you, you mentioned that the Democratic Party would have to change. And they wouldn't just have to change their stance on racism. If they lost a significant portion of black voters, they could not compete in many national elections. They would have to find a way to widen their tent. To do that, they would have to incorporate, you know, other issues that people care about, some other other group or other things. I can only imagine that they would have to find issues that they knew were effective at some point in the past that they kind of abandoned in their pursuit of other things. It would be it would be perhaps the first time in my lifetime that the progressive party would take a step back to older positions. And that would be very interesting to see that shake out. It would and be. And yeah, and having and having both of the parties making an effort to appeal to more to more of the American people sounds obvious, but in many ways <laughs> it's not what they normally do. And instead they normally polarize and draw in in order to have fewer but more dedicated supporters. And and so to have it go the other way, I think may see some positive changes not in their effectiveness in their ability to win but in what they're actually going to do if they win right and that's something that we'd like is to see these parties mellow out a little bit and become like dan said have a larger tent and actually start focusing on the issues that everyone cares about you know charter school is a great example of that here's an issue that's just going to help everyone Let's get on board. You know, yeah. So seeing more of that is going to be awesome. Yeah. Less political war, more political uh, negotiation, cooperation, I guess. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of things that I think, like charter schools have been on the table for literally, literally ever. You always could have done this, <laughs> right? And either party always could have picked up this issue at any point and fought for it. And it was popular. And it's been popular very – case of – it was obviously implied it, but I guess I never explicitly said it. It's very popular among blacks. That's that's it's it's which, extremely which is, popular. Which is encouraging and hopeful that it won't become just a Republican issue, that maybe we'll get lucky and the Democrats will say, Hey, no, we love we love school choice, and next thing you know, the two parties are are right. trying to outcompete each other at at doing something good because it's something that's popular. That would be a dream come true. It does sound like it. it if you're worried like about school outcomes, that would be. <laughs> How do we make that happen, Brad? We'll have to, we'll have to <laughs> think about that for a minute and see who we can pitch that to. <laughs> go talk. If you, if you happen to be friends with the DNC, go pose that. Go go pitch that to him. Be like, wait, we need to claim these votes back. They're shaky. We here's to, how we're going to do here's it. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to give them those things. So we've covered we've covered a lot of things as we've talked about this episode. Um, you know, one of the things we're most interested we're going to be looking at is is this potential shift in black voters. You know, 
we're also going to be looking at as we come into this election there's going to be more time to look at these issues you know trump now does have a record to defend which he didn't have 4 years ago get it coming into some of those debates and that is going to be very interesting to see play out i think in many ways it's going to be it's going to be difficult but it may actually be helpful for trump to have something to stand on in terms of what he's accomplished instead of just talking about what he's going to do it's going to be interesting to see how effectively the republican party and trump specifically can use that as they try and 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 prove their case this november and it'll be very it'll be very interesting to see it will be and the next we'll be sure to follow up on kind of the the numbers that we've indicated here uh, in our next, when we, the next time we do an election special, we will mention again uh, where you know how the black voters are polling and those kind of things, and see see if this conventions have had an immediate effect, whether that effects continue that effect holds in the long run, whether it starts a trend, whether it uh, you know really makes a difference in the election is something we're going to follow up on because it's. Yeah, so whether or not this is the most important election in our history, there are definitely some interesting things to watch. And of course, every election changes how the parties are perceived and how they act in in, in different ways. And so we're interested, interested to see how that plays out and what the political climate is going to look like six months from now. Yeah, and the face of the Republican Party is changing, and that's that's already an interesting sign. The The new political pundits are very different than the old ones. Yeah, we don't want to say promising, but it is, it is hopeful. <laughs> we'll see you in the long run. Thank you all for listening. Have a wonderful week.